Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. So this sermon series that we've been in, uh, Liturgy, the Work of the People, it, it, it's about getting down to the nitty-gritty of applying the good news of the kingdom and the call of Jesus to everyday issues that challenge us to be, I like this phrase that Robert uses, a peculiar people in a world that is, I think, in a lot of ways opposed to God. And humility is going to be an important theme for us today. What's the, this is a non-rhetorical question, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the word humility or humble? What? <laughs> you wanted to hear that again? No, no. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, all right, all right, thank you. Uh, sorry? Yeah, I'll pay you later. <laughs> Servant. Servant, okay. Not easy. Not easy, weak? Okay. Yeah, I might be wrong. Interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's uh, go back to maybe even like, how do we define humility? It's that kind of thing that, you know, you know it when you see it, but... Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Thank you. That's in my sermon, so I appreciate that. <laughs> like you and Crystal was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> she read it ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I studied. You guys didn't cram for this test. <laughs> for the pop quiz. Yeah, so not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. What else? How would you... A right estimation of yourself. A right estimation. Interesting. So what if you're really great? Great. Okay. (laughs) Humility looks different. (laughs) Greater is the humility. Then greater is the humility. Interesting. I always love that uh, part in, the, in uh, the Pentateuch, you know, the books that Moses himself wrote, where it says, uh, and Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. <laughs> Just like... You lost it right there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah. Well... Uh, before we get to the main passage in the book of James that we want to look at today, uh, would you look at Philippians 2.3? I didn't give Robert uh, verses, so I don't know if anything's going to be up there. So you might have to crack out your, your phones or find a... There's a bunch of Bibles, I think, back there if anybody needs one. I know. It is. It's supposed to be a low intensity. Low intensity? Low intensity sermon. That means it's a living I don't think that's what you're going to get today. So, um, 
Philippians 2.3, where Paul, I think he, he kind of defines humility for us. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So he's got two negatives here. He says, uh, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. How, how are those related, do you think, or... Are they? Doesn't leave much to talk about. What do you mean? Well, what else is there to talk about? Then yourself, then, yeah, yeah. The, the act of trying to impress people comes out of self. Yes. The act of trying to impress people comes out of, you said, selfishness? Or maybe self-centeredness, you know? Which is, which, is, which le yeah. What else? Other thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. Whenever... What'd I miss? Okay. All right, no problem. Well, hey, things are a little looser at camp, so, you know. Um, whenever I'm talking to young men, uh, particularly young men who are in search of a mate, one of the things that I always try to caution them is, and I can say it to any of them because it's true for all of them, dude, quit talking about yourself so much. <laughs> like your mode is you, because when guys get together, what they do is they tell stories, that's how we relate, and it's always like, okay, you've got that story, and I'm thinking, well, wait, you haven't heard anything yet. Yeah. And then someone, else, well, oh, hold on, but yeah, but I did. And that's how guys relate. And so they think that that mode also transfers into the male-female dynamic, and it does not. It's like, don't talk about yourself, ask about her, right? It's that, that kind of um, self, it's a lack of self-awareness, right? It's, it's uh, it is that self-centeredness that all of us have when we are young and hopefully we grow out of. Paul, he, here he kind of defines humility for us when he says, uh, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Hmm. I think it's possible to be very outwardly like very concerned about others, very giving, very compassionate, very others focused, and have it simply mask a, uh, a selfish, a self-centered pridefulness. Giving to get, you know, giving to get given to in return, whether it's accolades or respect or admiration. Once we get past what we do and into why we do what we do, we hit some really dark places in the human heart. So Paul says, be humble. What does that mean? Like, I love that he just defines it for us, at least grammatically. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, at first blush, I have some real postmodern angst about that phrase, thinking of others as better than yourself. Right? I'm like, huh, that's one of those ones that makes you go, mm, really? I really, really want to soften that when I read it and say something like, well, of course you know we're all equal. 
Like what Paul is saying is that in the context of understanding our essential equality, we should experientially seek to place others ahead of ourselves. But as, as I look through translation after translation of this verse, right? There's just no way around it. He says, literally, think of others as better than yourselves. And there's no doubt in my mind that, that telling us to think of others as better than ourselves is a hard thing to hear. That, that is, um, that's, a, that's a strong, strong medicine for the cancer of our selfishness and our pride. It cuts to the real issue of what tears relationships apart, families apart, neighborhoods, nations. We really do think that we are better than everyone else, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, right? Who's, what, what's the greatest country in the world? There's this concept of American exceptionalism, like, well, you know, obviously we're the greatest country in the world. And the greatest country in the world is filled with people like you and me who really believe we are somehow exceptional. That exceptionalism doesn't come from nowhere, and it doesn't, it doesn't exist without having an impact on the people who are part of it. Because, it, so, I guess the question would be then, so why wouldn't we just emphasize equality, right? Why wouldn't we just really hit that hard? Because human nature says that if you and I are both trying to maintain like a 50-50 balance between us, chances are, human nature being what it is, we're each gonna hold back, you know, a, a, a smidge, right? A, a little bit, we're, we're both actually in our hearts gonna be pulling for 51.49, right? Just trying to get whatever little edge we can get, all while nodding our heads to the concept of equality. And so Paul says, don't just consider each other equal. Essentially it's true, but practically speaking, it won't bring the deep change that we need. What we need is to go even farther than equality. We need to consider each other better than ourselves. To put others' needs not just on par with our own, right, 50-50, but ahead of ours. And yes, a community where half the people were doing this and half not, or a relationship where one person is doing that and one is not, that leads to some very messed up outcomes. But imagine a community, well first imagine a relationship where both are genuinely putting the needs of the other in front of their own. Imagine a community full of people where nearly every person was preferring others over themselves. And this, the, the move from pride, which is I think notoriously hard to self-diagnose, to humility, it's largely done in a way that moves from the outside in. It starts with what we do, 
with and for those around us. In other words, we don't develop humility and then act in humble ways. Rather, we choose certain actions, certain practices. We consciously choose the path of making ourselves low, raising others up, and in so doing, we develop humility. We become humble people. To put this in context, though, we need to ask why. Why would, why would we even want to do such a counterintuitive thing? And the answer, like so much of the Christian life, is community for the sake of others. Look at the book of James, if you can. If not, I will read it. James 3, 17 through 18. Now, James has got some tough words for us today, so, you know, put on your big boy and big girl pants. Um, James 3, 17 through 18, he says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle, at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Throughout the book of James, he's really giving an exposition, like his understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's drawing a picture of the community that the good news that the gospel creates. Like here's, here's the people, like if we, all, if we all embrace this, live this way of Jesus, here's the result, here's what it looks like. And the word James uses for righteousness here, as he, at the end of, of chapter three, as he, he points us back to that very central tenet of, of Jesus's words, that we ought to be peacemakers. The word he uses for righteousness, it has a range of meanings. And at its most basic, it means to be put right, to be made right. Sometimes it's used of being made right with God uh, in his sight, other times of being in restored relationship with others, to live justly with integrity. And when James uses the word, he almost always seems to mean both, to be put right with God and put right with others. Like those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The result of that is, is right relationship with God and right healthy whole relationships with each other because we plant seeds of peace. In other words, all that the Holy Spirit does in life in restoring us to relationship with God, setting us in a community with other people, breaking down the walls between us, the things that we, for some reason, allow to separate us, right? that we choose to let come between us, breaks all that down, and all because of what Jesus has done for us. James uses a farming picture. You plant seeds of peacemaking. You grow a harmonious, unified community. So what's at stake if we don't get this? Like, what do we lose if we fail to live 
this way, preferring others, planting seeds of peace. Why is it so hard to be the gospel peacemaking community that God calls us to be? Actually, let's make that a non-rhetorical. Why is it so hard? What do you guys think? And by the way, let me just give you guys a compliment if I can. Redemption Hill is the least, um, I have seen less dissension, less fighting, less relational issues in this community than any other I've been a part of, including one that I had a, a big hand in shaping myself. So, this is a... Uh, <laughs> there is. And it's a shame when it's the pastor. <laughs> so maybe it's not so hard for you guys, but for everyone else, why is it so hard? Why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without loss of relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is a skill I'm so, as, as a community as a whole, yeah. around, we have lost the ability to do. Absolutely. We have lost the ability to say, you have this opinion, I have this opinion, they are vastly different, but we can still love and be in community with each other, even having these different ideas. Yeah. I mean, that very much is the. Uh, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, that when you and I disagree, you have to go over there, and I have to go over here. If you do something I don't like, you're dead to me. <laughs> I, I cut you off, right? Yeah. That's Loyalty. how, yeah. Loyalty. Loyalty, what do you mean? Well, this was, it occurred to me that one of the reasons that the, cult, the zeitgeist that we find ourselves mm -hmm. in is that way disagree is an act of disloyalty. Oh. That if you were loyal, you'd agree with me and not yeah. agree with me. You're not loyal to me. Yes. And so you have ruptured our relationship and it's on you, not me. Yes. Which is a misunderstanding of loyalty. Yeah. Loyalty yeah. is, I don't know. Something different. Loyalty is incredibly destructive and not biblical. Yes. Well, that, that understanding of loyalty, that misunderstanding, yeah. Here are the stakes. First, God works in community. The changes that you desire to see in your life, those things that you know are growth areas, the places where God is inviting you into change, those changes that you desire to see in your life and in your heart, they come largely through community. Right? And I know that's really hard for, for Western modern people to believe because, again, back to the kind of the spirit of the age, how we do things. We live in an ultra-individualistic society and really believe that we are the product of our own rationality, right? Our own choices and thoughts. We are the captains of our own ships, the masters of our own destiny, you are who you choose to be, right? Yet, most societies 
in the world, and most social scientists and even the Bible agree, you are basically the product of your culture, your family, your community. Who you surround yourself with largely determines what you think about issues, about things, even how you vote. That's why we have red states and blue states. It's not because everybody moves, though largely now they're, I mean, that's starting to happen more and more. I'm going to Texas, you know, whatever. But there's a reason why some communities are more conservative and some are less, because of the power of community, right? It determines who we are becoming. Your beliefs are actually more a product of relationships than rationality. The things which seem most plausible to you are what you hear from people that you like and who like you. Which is why, as you read the Bible, when you see someone do X, Y, or Z, something awful, and then the entire family is punished, we look at that and go, oh, how awful. But social science, most, most societies in the world believe that individuals are incapable of doing X, Y, or Z unless the family or the village makes that person capable by showing them how, by positively modeling or even negatively withholding from them what they need. Our community forms us in one way or another. How many of you have ever said, I am never going to be like my father or my mother. How's that working out? As you get beyond your 20s, you begin to realize the older you get, the more you see that you have been profoundly influenced and shaped by the very people that you said you would never be like. like they determine your default settings, both for good and for bad. And it's a real... It, it takes a lot of work to kind of untangle that, to undo that. We are the product of relationships, of community, the people we spend the most time with. And that's why James, that's why Jesus takes relationships and community so seriously and why we should too. Because it very much determines who we are becoming. So, look at James 4, 1 through 3. And we are getting to humility. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. I really hope he's speaking metaphorically. <laughs> if not, wow. Uh, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. There's two ways to fail at community and to fail um, to be formed by it. One is obvious. It's just don't be part of it in any meaningful way. And it won't. It can't form you. You know, don't be part of the community that is striving to live life in the way of Jesus and you won't be formed in the way of Jesus. And even if you are somewhat part of it, 
Like if you come, if you leave, if you don't share yourself, if you don't listen to others, if you don't celebrate with those who celebrate or grieve with those who grieve, don't be part of a microchurch or a discipleship huddle. In other words, be an observer, not a participant. And again, it's not a guilt trip. I mean, we all kind of approach community at the pace that we can approach it. But when we make conscious choices to lower the priority of it in our life, let's not be naive and think that has no impact. Right? You will not experience the formation that community is meant to bring. You will be formed. There are other communities that are happy to form you and shape you. But the second way that we fail at community, what James talks about here, is to get into it and ignore all the cautions that James has sprinkled throughout here. Right? Cautions about our tongues. Ignoring Jesus' vision of, of a community of peacemakers and, and fighting, fighting, fighting. Talk about each other instead of to each other. Talk down to one another. Put self, my desires, my preferences, my, even my needs over those of others. I mean, have you ever been part of a church where the argument was about the color of the carpet? Because I've actually been there. And that is a crazy, crazy scene. That's why we got rid of the carpet. That's why we got rid of the carpet, yes. Uh, Tell me a single evil in the world that does not originate from some individual or some group putting their preferences, their desires, even their needs over those of others. You just can't do it. The word James uses for want something is, is hedone, from where we get hedonism. A love of my own pleasure, even at the expense of others. And he says, that's why communities fall apart. Because I would rather put my comfort, my convenience over everything else. James asks, what causes fights among us? And I, I man, I love Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance. Man, almost like he was looking at the US in 2022. Picture hell as a place where everyone is perpetually concerned about his or her own dignity and advancement where everyone has a grievance. And that's why James says this, verses four and five. He says, you adulterers. Whoa, James, tell us what you really think. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy or is jealous? Now that's an interesting term. So first, what does he mean by adulterers? Is he saying everyone that he was writing to were unfaithful in their marriage? Uh, I hope not. Again, like back to the murdering and killing part, I, I hope he's using a word picture here. One of the prime metaphors that God uses in Scripture is that he's like a father to his children, like a king to his subjects, and here, a husband 
to his people. And Jesus' prayer for us in John 17 was that we, as a people, his followers, would be known by our unity and love for each other. Okay, we're at camp, so of course what comes to mind is, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Read it out. Did you guys sing that? No. What? Oh, all right. You forgot that one. All right. Um, when we divide over petty things, when we're unable to disagree without disengaging, when we prefer me over we, James says we are committing adultery. It's that serious where our love and devotion should go to God himself and to his people, we have instead cheated on God with ourselves. Now that's a, that's a weird concept. And now when James says, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God, he's not saying don't befriend people who don't know Jesus, who don't follow God. What he is saying is that when we ignore disconnect from, do damage to each other through fighting and divisiveness. We trample on the one thing that Jesus prayed most for, died for, gave to us as our primary means of spiritual transformation, this community, the community of Christ followers. James says that indifference towards that carelessness with this, with what God has worked so hard to create is really just hatred towards God. Hatred toward the God who gave it to us that we might show the world who he is and what he is like. When we allow the, the means of the, the, the mindset of the systems around us Namely, things like might makes right. I've got the most votes. Fight for everything you believe you're owed. Stand up for yourself. And the anger and the, the cynicism inherent in the system, when we allow all those things to infect us, to define us, that's the over-the-line friendship with the world that James is talking about. When we set our hearts on ourselves and our own desires, and that's why God is jealous. We don't often think of the word jealousy or jealous in a positive light. But sometimes jealousy is the appropriate response. Right? That's why God is jealous for us. Not because he needs our worship but because he loves us and he knows that when we set our hearts on anything but him, we eventually destroy ourselves and others. So what's the answer? Let's wrap this up. What does James tell us? Verse six, he says, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires, to stand against the self-centeredness that is so natural to us. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Similar to Lewis, George MacDonald said, the one principle of hell is I am my own. I belong to me, 
and no one else. But the New Testament writers point us to something very different when they say, bear with each other. Bear one another's burdens. Submit to one another. Love one another. Rejoice with one another. Prefer others over yourselves. Or in James's words, humble yourself. Humble yourself, which as Crystal said, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. James says the reason for community breakdown, the reason why we fail to be formed in the ways that we want, that we need to be formed in, is this. It's pride. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. And so James says, humble yourself before God. And when he says that, can you see that he is throwing us a lifeline as we drown in the waters of pride, as our relationships fracture, as our communities fall apart. He's throwing us a lifeline of humility. Throughout this letter, James is drawing a picture of a community of peacemakers, of people who are slow to speak, slow to speak of other people's faults, slow to anger, and when they do, when they do need to say something, they do it gently, respectfully, kindly, not in disdain or pride or self-interest. A community that sticks with one another through hard relationships and hard times, they don't give up, they are flexible, learning together, not dogmatic. They're not afraid of confronting others, but they certainly don't enjoy it. Have you ever, there's a certain Enneagram type that kind of likes confrontation. Have you ever met somebody that's like, oh yeah, I'll go talk to them about that. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> slow your roll. <laughs> yeah, <what's> your <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's actually good to have those people in your group because you know that they'll, yeah. they'll take it on when it needs to. But sometimes, you know, and get a little much, right? right? Not afraid of confronting others, but not you know, doing it just for the sake of doing it. And when they do it, not being out to win, not being out to prove that you're right. When we do need to confront each other in community, we do so only out of a desire to heal, to see what is best for others where there's not a lot of complaining and grumbling, but joy and appreciation for what is, right? And here's my question. Who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? Who wouldn't? Finally, verses 7 through 10. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your, <laughs> James, love this guy. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. How can we be like this? How, how do we humble ourselves? First, again, let's throw away the misunderstanding that humility means low self-esteem. 
Right? That's not it. It's not, oh, I'm, so, I'm a worm, I'm, I'm so miserable. In fact, it's the opposite. It's like Jesse said, it's, it's knowing who you are. And it's the courage to live in that. Enough courage to resist the devil, to choose the peacemaking ways of Christ over what comes first to mind or what comes naturally or what everyone else in the world is doing. To resist the win-at-all-cost ways of the systems around us. Enough courage to come close to God. Right? To draw near to Him. Humility is the ability to own our own crap. To recognize the wrong that we have done. To feel sorrow over it and really repent. Turn around. Turn away from it. Pride leads me to justifying myself. And here's where I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I have a really hard time with, being, with constructive criticism. Because the first thing that comes to my mind is always, well, here's why I did that, and here's what I was trying to get at, and I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt, which is a <laughs> terrible apology, right? Pride leads me to justifying myself to always feeling snubbed, to being offended by everything, to always worrying about my own rights, my own reputation. Proud people cannot forgive, they cannot let go. Because the pride won't let them. Why is a humble person able to be patient with others, to forgive others, to let things go? Because they are not focusing first and foremost on themselves but rather seeing everything through the lens of God's care and concern for others. My self-esteem has little to do with what I think you think of me. Okay, let's work that out. My self-esteem should have little to do with what I think you think of me. I know my worth because I see it every time I look at the cross, every time I come to the table that Jesus sets before us. I can never be proud, because when I look at the cross, I see the cost of my forgiveness. And the question is, how do I, how do I get into that space? How do I become that humble person that forgives others, that lets things go? I do it, huh, shame, no. <laughs> I do it by forgiving others, letting things go, focusing more on the good of others and less on myself. It's a virtuous cycle. The more I practice in community the way of humility that Jesus calls me to, the more humble I become. And the more humble I become, the more I am able to practice the way of humility that Jesus calls us to. Do you see it? Mm -hmm. Is that a question or? Yeah, question. Yes. So does this mean we can't just try really, really hard on our own to be humble? Yeah. And then just like will ourselves to go out there and humiliate ourselves everywhere we go and just, I'm just going to be humble at everyone? <laughs> Mm -hmm. to be in an experience where we learn how to do that yeah. and maybe like fail instead of just, I'll see you guys, I'm going to go out and be humble and I'm just going to be humble at my family and just nail it. 
That sounds like a rhetorical question. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Yeah. Here's, you know what? Here's what happens. People get hurt in church, right? And I always, I, I always try to push back a little bit because, like, the church hurt me. No, the church didn't hurt you. Some people in church hurt you. And maybe it was a lot of the people in that church, but still, you know. And the thing is, uh, I had a friend who used to always say, that's a feature, not a bug. In other words, that's how it's supposed to work. How do you learn patience unless you're around people that try your patience? How do you learn forgiveness unless you're around people that occasionally step on your toes? Right? If you, had, if you were part of the perfect church community, you could not grow. You'd be the lone loser sitting there going, uh, these people are all perfect and I suck. But when we all suck together, <laughs> yeah, I should have thought that one out a little. All right, I, I'm so close to the end. Let me get there. Again, humility, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking honestly about yourself, less about yourself than about others. And it comes from confident assurance in the grace and the mercy of God and the resultant ability to give that grace and mercy to others. A truly humble person does not need to defend themselves, does not need to brag to build themselves up. Their worth is found on the solid, the rock solid fact, the sure knowledge that, as Robert said, I am a beloved child of God. I know who I am, irrespective of who I think you think I am. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. God loves me. Jesus died for me. And if I put my faith, the weight of my whole soul and being and life on Jesus, then I am one in whom he is living this life out, who is forming and shaping me more and more into the image of his character. And irrespective of what's happening around me, I am always safe in that unshakable kingdom of God. So when you step on my toes, it's really not that big a deal. When things don't go my way, when the carpet isn't the color I would have chosen, <laughs> when Bob says something in a sermon and you go, ah. right? The only way we can ever get to that point is to do what James says and to get close to God, to come to him, to allow him to do his work in us through his spirit in community. Finding our worth 
not in what we do or what we fail to do, but in what he has done for us, in who he says we are. So here's the question this morning. Will you do, will we do what James asks us to do here? Will we practice humility in practical ways whenever the opportunity arises? You will have an opportunity this week to either move your piece on the board up one or to let somebody else go first. And that choice, as big or as little as it is in your life, will form you and shape you. And the more opportunities you get to make that choice and the more times you choose the way of humility, the more you will be formed. Will we practice humility in practical ways whenever the opportunity arises? Will we commit to the the kind of peace-loving, peacemaking community that actually makes a difference in the world? Will we put others first for the sake of the one who laid down his life for you? Will you lay down your rights your preferences for the sake of others. And again, there's caveats to that. We don't have time to talk about that, right? But if we will do this in a spirit-led way for the sake of the God who loves us and the world that he is calling us to love and to serve, something amazing will happen, Redemption Hill. Let's pray. Lord God, this way of Jesus that you call us to, in some ways it's so simple. Love God, love others. But when we get when we actually try to do that, we discover how difficult it is. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. Would you begin to show us the ways in which you give us opportunity after opportunity to prefer others, to to make ourselves low, to forgive, to let go, to be formed and shaped into people who look more and more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for this time. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.